the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back and happy November 18th, 2020. Quote, you cannot serve God in the military, close quote. That's from a sermon Raphael Warnock, the Democratic Party candidate for Senate in Georgia, in Georgia preached in a video that has gone viral, sort of. The mainstream media is not covering those aspects of Reverend Warnock's rhetoric very much. One question from Jake Tapper on it is the best I can see. But of course, there's more, a lot more including a 2014 sermon praising Jeremiah Wright's G.D. America sermon of some years prior, saying it was a very fine sermon. Quite interesting views on God and the military this meddlesome reverend has. Let's talk about the military just a moment. What in 2014, or 2003 for that matter, was so worthy of criticizing? That brave men and women would defend America? Now, now you see it because they believe God should condemn or rather, damn America. And the picture comes into focus. You can't at the same time serve an institution that defends America, according to the Reverend, the military, when you believe God should be condemning America. While most of us grew up singing and knowing the prayer and song, God bless America, there have always been those who thought our country was not worthy of blessing, but they were always considered until now, in the modern era, I guess, enemies. Why enemies? Because we founded ourselves on the notion that God smiled on us, not damned us. We invoke God to save and preserve us. It is our enemies who pray to God to destroy us. As Harry Jaffa puts it about our Constitution, the preamble of the Constitution crowns its enumeration of the ends of the Constitution by declaring its purpose to secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. No words of the Constitution reveal the intention of the Constitution more profoundly than these. The preamble is the statement of the Constitution's purposes, and this culminating purpose embraces and transcends those that have gone before. Alone among the ends of the Constitution to secure liberty is called a securing of blessings. What is a blessing is what is good in the eyes of God. It is a good whose possession, by the common understanding of mankind, belongs properly only to those who deserve it. We remember that the final paragraph of the Declaration of Independence appeals to the supreme judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions. It is by the authority of good people of these colonies that independence is declared. It is because of this assurance of their rectitude that this good people and their representatives placed a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence. From George Washington to Abraham Lincoln to Franklin Roosevelt to John Kennedy to Ronald Reagan, until now every president invoked God to bless or save our people and our country, either in war, especially before a battle, or in peace. I think especially Franklin Roosevelt's D-Day prayer read over the radio, the largest public prayer the world had ever known until then. That's what rubs so raw when preachers, men of cloth, men of God, Invoke him, God, to damn us and our country. It's not just theologically problematic. It's quite simply un-American. And we shouldn't shrink from saying it. 
you know, it strikes me Democrats already elected, particularly in the U.S. House of Representatives and Senate, from Nancy Pelosi to Chuck Schumer, tell us things, policies, you name it, are un-American all the time when Republicans propose them, or existential threats to our country and our Constitution. But they miss the speck for the plank when people in their party seeking to join their ranks of leadership literally speak anti-American and un-American toxicity. Now, of course, we know the Democratic leaders who have no problem labeling Republicans and their policies un-American are not missing things. They're burying them and distorting them because the point to them is not to be in consonance with our founding principles. It's to enrich and enlarge Democratic Party majorities, leadership, power. Even if it requires turning a blind eye or a deaf ear to members of their own party who truly do speak un-American things. Now, one of the things about this, be it Jeremiah Wright or Raphael Warnock, or for that matter, Ilan Omar, is that there is a diffidence, a hesitation in criticizing people of color or ethnic minorities for these kinds of statements, isn't there? I never understood why. It seems to me the greatest form of equality is treating people equally. And that means praising and critiquing equally. Treating someone differently because of their color seems to me not just pandering, but taking account of that person's skin color or ethnicity to assume they cannot handle the truth being spoken to or about truthfully and thinking their internal constitutions are more delicate or fragile than others' internal constitutions. This is part and parcel of what we spoke about yesterday regarding Shelby Steele's work. The notion of treating minorities with an indelibility of questionable competence and thus questionable character. If someone is going to invoke the damnation of America, I don't care if they have the skin color or ethnicity of Adolf Hitler, Idi Amin, or Osama bin Laden. It's the thought and the intent and the verbiage that counts, not the skin or eyes or country of origin of the person saying these things. The great irony is that it is usually such enemies of America, like Adolf Hitler, who actually do think skin color and ethnicity and sometimes religion dictates how one thinks, dictates character, brain power, capacities for good and evil. Let us never forget that irony or forget the lessons we just seem to want to blithely ignore from teachers who gave us what Barack Obama called the Moses generation of civil rights. Here, for example, is Frederick Douglass, quote, In the founders' admiration of liberty, they lost sight of all other interests. They were peacemen, but they preferred revolution to peaceful submission to bondage. They were quiet men, but they did not shrink from agitating against oppression. They showed forbearance, but they knew its limits. They believed in order, but not in the order of tyranny. With them... Nothing was settled that was not right. With them, justice, liberty, and humanity were final, not slavery and oppression. You may well cherish the memory of such men. They were great in their day and generation. Their solid manhood stands out the more as we contrast it with the degenerate times we live in. He would go on to say, Frederick Douglass would, quote, In the Constitution, I hold there is neither warrant license nor sanction of the hateful thing slavery. But interpreted as it ought to be interpreted, the Constitution is a glorious liberty document, close quote. A glorious liberty document. Do the people wanting to tear down his and Lincoln's and Washington's and 
Ulysses Grant's statues know any of this? Does Raphael Warnock? Or do they stand with the Confederacy after all? For it was the Confederacy in America that interpreted our founding differently from Frederick Douglass. We've been over and over this, but I'm not quite ready to let it go. When the Warnocks or Wrights or BLM anarchists speak of America as founded in evil, they buy into not Lincoln's or Frederick Douglass's or Martin Luther King's views of the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution or our founding. They are buying into Jefferson Davis and Alexander Stevens' view that our founding was not meant to put slavery on the course of ultimate extinction, but to burn it in amber forever and ever. I just don't think enough people realize whose view of America these leftists are invoking or supporting, for they are supporting the lost cause of the Confederacy and not the side that won, the side that was right, the side of freedom. One wants to ask why the Democratic Party traffics in so much of this, but then again, it's not a party that takes serious issues seriously and will use any movement or any cause to obtain and maintain power, even if that means embracing the theological and philosophical underpinnings of the Confederacy and slavery. I'm reminded of what Leo Strauss wrote about Germany in the 1930s. He wrote it was the contempt for permanencies of human nature which permitted the most radical elements to submit to, or rather to welcome as a dispensation of fate, the verdict of the least wise and least moderate part of the nation, while it was in its least wise and least moderate mood, and at the same time speak of wisdom and moderation. Let me go to Strauss's student, Harry Jaffe, again. There are those who do not see that the Constitution, grounded in the principles of the Declaration of Independence, reflected any standard of justice other than positive law. They do not see that the word person meant any human person, whatever his race, creed, or nation. In December 1860, Abraham Lincoln wrote to his old friend, Alexander Stevens, who he hoped was still a friend and not an enemy. He wrote, quote, You think slavery is right not to be extended, while we think it is wrong and ought to be restricted. And that, I suppose, is the rub. Close quote. Yep, that was the rub. And the wrong, distorted view was rubbed out. Why we cannot celebrate that takes us back to the whole argument about learning history here. We don't and for all the wrong reasons. Thus propaganda reigns, and Raphael Warnocks get defended when they don't get praised. But it is with a pretty strong dose of humility, I think, that we should ever concede to a view of the world that would dismiss Washington, Madison, Lincoln, and Douglas, and embrace the Confederate view of our history, all the while speaking of moderation, peace, and justice. I'm Seth Leibson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show, 602-508-0960. Andy Biggs is going to join us in a little bit, maybe about 20 minutes or so, give us an update <clears throat> on the uh, election, the fraud claims. I want to get his sense also on uh, this new lockdown ethic, COVID lockdown ethic. Did you, um, did you see the story? Even the New York Times covered it, and it's a brand new um, – it's a, it's a brand new study that was just published, and it's a big study, and it's a good study out of, uh, out of uh, Denmark on uh, efficacy of masks. 
It's amazing to me how much better a study it is than what the CDC put out a week ago. And uh, a, a pretty good summary of it is over at Powerline. This was the largest ever randomized control trial to test um, the protective efficacy of masks. That is to say, do they protect you, the wearer, from uh, acquiring the virus? And uh, here, here's the um, excerpt. Our results suggest that recommendations to wear a surgical mask when outside the home, among others, did not reduce at conventional levels of statistical significance the incidence of SARS-CoV-2 infections in mask wearers in a setting where social distancing and other public health measures were in effect. Mask recommendations were not among those measures, and community use of masks is uncommon. The New York Times has a story on it, and they put it this way, quote, the study published in the Annals of Internal Medicine did not contradict growing evidence that masks can prevent transmission of the virus from the wearer to others, but the conclusion is at odds with the view that masks also protect the wearers, which is what the CDC is saying. About 4,860 participants were in this study. The researchers had hoped that masks would cut the infection rate by half among those who wore them. Instead, 42 people in the masked group, that is to say 1.8, got infected compared with 53 in the unmasked group or 2.1%, an insignificant, a statistically insignificant number. Our study gives an indication of how much you gain from wearing a mask said Dr. Henning Bundgaard, lead author of the study. The answer is not a lot. Not a lot. Um, One of the reasons I think it's important to talk about this and these studies is the very reason that our Surgeon General, remember him, was saying in April, that masks are not a good idea because they give a false sense of security. Now, what you are seeing from a lot of these governors, particularly California, Michigan, New York, I guess now Oregon and uh, Pennsylvania, who are engaging in these mandates and talking about what the CDC said a week ago versus what this study, which is a very good study, a very tightly controlled study, um, are saying, and what Joe Biden is saying, is you can you can do this wrongly. You can do this wrongly. If you handle a mask like Joe Biden, you're doing everything wrongly. Coughing into your hand, holding it, crumpling it, setting it down, talking with it, waving it around, putting it on, taking it off. That's wrong. That's it's 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 gonna create more problems than it solves. The second issue with the governors, and especially as we're going into Thanksgiving, and then one wonders what they're gonna tell us about, gosh knows the December holidays, Christmas, Hanukkah, and you name it, gosh knows what they're going to say about that if, 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 if they're already limiting what we can do with Thanksgiving and telling people they have to celebrate and dine and meet outside, especially as the weather gets colder and colder. Um, and we accept this. We just accept this because we think we're protecting ourselves with masks. We're not. We're not. I just think that's important. And... Then there's another point, which our friends at Issues and Insights are pointing out, which is if we can declare public health emergencies, 
and lockdowns over a virus that is doing what typical viruses or strong even viruses would do. What else can they declare this for? We warned about this early on. We warned about this early on, particularly when it comes to issues of climate change. And I'll say something about that in a moment, too. But as I make this libertarian point, I'm reminded of what Ronald Reagan said about the Libertarian Party. He said, we are libertarians at heart, of course, because we want less government. But we are not members of the Libertarian Party. I'm looking at a lot of these recounts and a lot of these legal challenges across the various states and hoping, you know, hoping that, you know, our cases pan out and things change. As I said, we'll get an update from Andy Biggs in a little bit here, about 15, 20 minutes on that. But look at Arizona. Look at Wisconsin. Look at Michigan. And look at what the libertarian candidate did there in those states. If there were no libertarian candidate, assuming people voted and they voted for the libertarian because they are conservative or right-wing or somewhere center-right, if those are votes that otherwise could have gone to Donald Trump, we would not be in the mess we're in. To wit, for example, in Arizona, think about this. Biden leads right now by about 10,000 votes. The libertarian candidate got 51,000 votes here in Arizona. Do you think those are votes that would go to Joe Biden? Do you think they are? They're not. They're votes that would otherwise go for Donald Trump. And you can see these things in Michigan and Wisconsin. Pennsylvania is a slightly different case, but not altogether different. The libertarian candidate took about 2,000 votes less than by what Trump is winning. So a lot and a monumental amount that gets it a lot closer. But as we articulate libertarian principles, which I think we all have and maintain, and whether you're a Reagan Republican or a William Buckley conservative, both of whom invoked the cause of libertarianism but not the party of it, I think it's important to think about what the party of it has done and what the party of it has done here. Now, if you're going to tell <clears throat> tell me that, well, not all 50,000 votes that went to Joe Jorgensen in Arizona would have gone to Trump, what about half of them? What if half those votes did? You think they're getting any votes at Joe Jorgensen's campaign for Joe Biden? They aren't. If we got half of her votes here, We'd be in no problem, and this would have been called a long time ago. Something to think about, Libertarian Party. Something to think about. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. 34 past the hour brings us our culture and economy update with John Dombrowski from Grand Canyon Planning Associates. GrandCanyonPlanning.com is his website. Happy Wednesday, John. How are you, sir? Very good. How are you doing today, Seth? Doing all right. Thank Great. you very much. How are the markets doing? Well, we had a little bit of an opening uh, that was uh, positive this morning on some news of uh, 
more uh, vaccine news, which was good. But also we had uh, Boeing, which came out. Basically, they got the approval for yes. the 737 MAX aircraft right. to get back up and flying again. Now, of course, it's going to take a little bit of training on for the pilots. But uh, coming in December, I think it was American would be first. Mm-hmm. Uh, American Airlines would be coming out first in December. Then I think United and then uh, possibly Southwest, uh, maybe Q1 or Q2. But um, markets turned a little bit negative towards the end of the day here. Uh, but overall, uh, just uh, still, I think, a little bit of fallout from uh, the quick rise that we saw just over the past week. So uh, if there's going to be volatility, I think, Seth, no matter what, moving forward. But I think the key, of course, is, is and I talk about this all the time, I hate to keep saying it over and over again, but uh, we have to make sure that you're investing in the right areas of the market for your time horizon and your own personal risk tolerance. Short term, I wonder if you're looking at more and more things um, that have to do with indoors. I noticed Sonos, which is an indoor right. audio. Yep. You saw that. That that was a big story today, yes. wasn't it? Their stock rocketed up 20%. Yes, it did. And also Target was yeah. another one that right. had uh, come out with blue out earnings, and uh, Walmart was another one. So a lot of these have online presences, uh, as, as you're talking about, Seth. These are the stay-at-home people yeah. that can do the shopping mm-hmm. from their own computer and the safety of their own home. And, yes, we certainly have seen uh, – I remember talking about this years ago with you, um, how, uh, you know, that Black Friday, yeah. we're trying to measure, hey, how better was it this year yeah. than it was the prior year. Yeah. We're seeing the e-online, um, you know, sales just trending higher every every year. And because of COVID-19, it's yeah. just uh, jumped at even, even more. Yeah, right. I'm looking at vacuums, vacuum companies. <laughs> Talk to me about this fun year known as 1883. Oh, yes. So 1883. This was the first time in our history that we created actual time zones in this country. Uh, the old way that people would set their clocks was no matter where they were in the nation, they would set it by the sun, the mm-hmm. high noon, right? Mm-hmm. So when that sun was directly overhead, that was 12 o'clock noon. But, of course, the sun is in different areas uh, of the sky throughout the different areas of our country. Yep. So there were all these little towns with all these little times. And railroads, when they were running, they needed to know exactly uh, how, uh, you know, they were going to get from one place to another in a timely fashion. And what was really interesting about this, there's more to this whole thing if you really are a buff about it. But think about the old pocket watches, yeah, Seth. sure. And this is why a lot of these pocket watches uh, were so popular back then. A lot of the people who worked at the railroads right. had pocket watches yeah. to make sure that the trains were on the right tracks at the right time right. so that there weren't accidents. and. Uh, it's it, it's a really interesting story when you when you look into it all. But Are we one of the more progressive states by not changing clocks? Then you know I don't know, but uh, I kind of like not changing yeah. the clock and yeah. not having to think about it. But I guess it doesn't matter when everyone else changes theirs. Right? Yeah, yeah. I guess we fall into that zone somewhere in the middle of the country per se, and uh, so it, it's, it's a nightmare for booking radio. I'll tell you when you have East it Coast is. guests, and it they is. Think it's a three-hour difference <laughs> yeah, when it's a two, and vice two. versa. You know. Yeah, and of course California. California coast, yeah, right. they they changed. Right, so, they're an hour behind us now. Yeah, yeah. so it's uh, it is a nightmare for a lot of things, but uh, for us, we're here no matter what. Yeah, no, I see. Also, there's 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 a growing crop of neurological studies, psychiatric studies too, mm-hmm. that uh, these time changes 
has uh, created an awful lot of uh, flux in people's lives that creates certain problems. So mm-hmm. I'm not sure it's progress. I think there's a lot of things that are creating psychological yes. problems. Yes, <laughs> I know. I know. Well, don't let it be your, your, your financial affairs sure. because we can help with that. You can just call me and we can sit down and talk about what you're doing to plan for your financial future. John, thank you. All right. Securities and advisory services offered to Client One Securities LLC, a member of Emory and Sipic, an investment advisor, Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC, and Client One Securities LLC, not affiliated, GrandCanyonPlanning.com. You can schedule an appointment right there. Thank you, John Dombrowski. Thank Appreciate you, you much. Bye-bye. Andy you Biggs well. coming right up. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Delighted to have Congressman Andy Biggs, chairman of the House Freedom Caucus and, of course, representing Arizona's 5th Congressional District, member of the Judiciary Committee, as well as others. Andy, how you doing? I'm uh, I'm in Washington, D.C., so I'm fair to Midland. <laughs> All right. I wanted to do a couple things with you. Um, update us on your sense of things, your scope of things with regard to controversies over the election, with regard to claims and filings of uh, fraud and irregularities. Where do you see that whole battle? How do you see it right now? Well, where we're seeing most of the action is going to be Georgia and Pennsylvania. There's still some residual uh, lawsuits in Michigan and Wisconsin that, and, and some real issues that have to be resolved there. And then, then Arizona is further down the pike. I think, um, you know, I'm, I'm always perfectly candid with you. I yep. think as far as the Trump team goes, I think um, with the certification um, in Maricopa County, I think that the, the Trump team has said, look, you know, uh, we have limited resources. We have to fight uh, every battle we possibly can. The, and and I just, you know, the administration tells me this on a regular sure. basis, that they're, they're exploring every avenue to fight this out. But Right now, their attention is focusing focusing on on Georgia and Pennsylvania and uh, Michigan and um, Wisconsin ahead of Arizona. Now, people will tell me um, that as as we go forward with those with those legal claims, and, and as I think they're legitimate to go forward with, it's a heavy lift to 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 expect a great outcome in all of them. Um, but what's your sense of it? Is it a is it a heavy lift or is it uh, a fairly easy lift at this point? No, I think it's a heavy lift, but I think there. I think even in Arizona, there are uh, issues that that are worthy of litigation yeah. that that and that need to be resolved. I mean, and you have to go through every uh, every avenue that you possibly can. It's it's an uphill slog. I mean, yeah. let's let's just let's be candid about it. It's an uphill fight, but it's worth a fight because um, we're fighting for freedom, sure. and so you you, ne- you never back down from that fight, and you continue to fight that fight. Um, I, I'll and, tell you one thing I'm, I'm, I'm pretty darn mad about, and you, you feel free, obviously, as you said, in candor to agree or disagree. I'm looking at, you know, some of these margins. So in Arizona, it's about a 10,000 or so vote margin. And then I look at what the libertarian candidate for president got here, over 51,000 votes. And it just it just it really angers me, quite frankly, you know, when you think about who those voters most likely were, even if half of them went for Donald Trump, we wouldn't even be talking about this sort of thing. And, 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 and by the way, in everyone at the battleground states where the margins, yep. even, even as high as 10, uh, 20, 30,000 yep. votes, it's all that way. Yep. And what, what, what blows my mind is there are places that, um, 
the Democrats did a good job of keeping Green Party candidates yep. off the ballot. Yep. And that's that's their split is usually Green One Party. One almost so, wonders if they put the Libertarian candidate on our ballots or helped, you know? Yeah, I, I, I don't know about that. But yeah, I don't I either. But is, <laughs> it, it worked start, if they did it. It worked if they did it. Worked. it. I mean, you start looking at it, and, and, and this is the first thing that I noticed on election night, and I'm sure you did too, is you'd say, okay, um, we've got a we've got a libertarian candidate who can't possibly win. I get it; they have the right to sure. run, and I respect that right. Um, but if they really want something that leans towards libertarianism, um, it isn't it isn't uh, the the neo Marxian authoritarianism, the institutionalism of the the left, the, na- the new left Democrat Party. Right. You're, you're, the closest way you're going to get that is in the Republican That's Party. Right. That's right. And and so it, in the Republican Party embraces the conservative ideals, but it also has a lot of libertarian leaning people like myself. Of in course, there. of course. And and so uh, it was sure would have been nice if we could have kept our ba- uh, our ballots to, to a true two party. No, I was reminding the audience that Reagan said, "Though we are libertarian, we are not members of the Libertarian Party. Libertarianism runs deep, should run deep, and does run deep." And it certainly <laughs> talk about the right. perfect being the enemy of the good, and it's far from perfect when you look at some of their positions. Um, you get you get Joe Biden when you vote libertarian. Andy, a um, couple other things I wanted to run by you. You and I have pretty much throughout since March been on the same page with regard to uh, reactions uh, to COVID. Um, I'm getting nervous. Uh, I'm getting really nervous as I'm watching a lot of these states, big states, New York, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Oregon, California. They're going back into shutdown mode, shutting schools down in New York City. Um, mandates over Thanksgiving and numbers of people that can show up and mandates as to where you can eat for Thanksgiving. Um, and then we have Christmas. I mean, I'm, I'm getting really nervous here, speaking of libertarian concerns. Yeah, and you should be nervous because that spreads throughout the country. And, and quite frankly, um, the momentum of support that is behind lockdowns has evaporated largely. And um, there's a plurality now that will support it instead of a clear majority. You have um, even Chris Cuomo uh, admitting a few days ago that, hey, you know, uh, in schools we're seeing that they're not super spreaders right. and uh, the danger's not there. You have the Denmark mask study that came huge. out. Huge. Yeah, huge. And, and it, it, was a, it was a controlled study, mm-hmm. et cetera. And it, they have no masks, have no um, a statistical um, impact. Um, over non-mask wearing, and and the thing is, is is when people yell at us and say you should be following the science, yeah. and we say, well, this is this is really one of the uh, few controlled studies you have on masks yeah. it, it, since COVID came out, and it debunks what you say, and now all of a sudden they're like, well, you know, you, you can't, yeah, well, wear a mask anyway. Okay. Yeah, wear a mask anyway. <laughs> that, that, that's the about, odd thing. Eighty to ninety percent of the people are wearing masks. And these states that have had mask mandates right. and are, I mean, it's and, and are seeing cases rise at a certain point. It's not just science. It's common sense, too, isn't it? What more is, well, it, yeah, what more is the mandate going to do? It's, it's not it's just not in the U.S. either. I mean, around the world, right. you have places where they've had masks, mandates and lockdowns for many months right. where they're spiking again because – what seems to happen, there seems to be a pattern, right? I mean, six to eight weeks, and mm-hmm. then and then it burn, seems to burn itself out for a while, and then it, it comes back to, to uh, people take away their mask mandate, mm-hmm. 
that was that was in place, which supposed to, was supposed to prevent the surge, right. didn't prevent the surge. Didn't no. And it just it, it I, I, I'm baffled. I mean, I'm I always say I'm not a doctor, but I can but I can read medical journals. I and I can I can look at these things, and mm-hmm. I I get a feel for it. It's not just a feel. You you gain information and sure. knowledge, and. Uh, uh, we're, I, we're going crazy. We're just going crazy as a society. Now, got, I understand the inclinations yeah. of people wanting Fairly to do something, but, you know, be careful. Yeah. Be right. responsible. We're, Don't wave your right. mask around like Joe Biden for 10 minutes and touch it and cough into your hand and put it back on your face. That would be one thing not to do, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. Well, I mean, it, 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 just, it just doesn't seem to make a lot of sense for us to be so acquiescent, giving up our rights. How about let's be responsible? Be there responsible. Go. There you go. Andy Biggs, you're great. I'm so glad you could check in and update with us. Thank you, sir. Stay well. I hope to talk to you before Thank Thanksgiving, you. so I'm not going to wish you, you a good one yet, okay? Right. Okay. Right, God bless you, sir. Good. Talk Thank to you, you soon. God bless. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. I um I've called it. Uh, it's actually a diagnosis in the uh, in the um, in the uh, medical literature, homicidal fantasy, uh, in the DSM uh, DSM uh, manual. When people have a disorder that wishes their people they don't like dead, wishes them dead. I think we saw a lot of it when Donald Trump got sick. Uh, I don't think we saw a lot of it. We did see a lot of it, including from a former spokesperson for Hillary Clinton. Um, You saw a lot of it with Hollywood actors who said they wanted to kill the president, portrayed plays of killing the president. You saw it with protests, Donald Trump's head on a pike. Um, You borderline to it when you see people talking about truth and reconciliation committees for those who supported Donald Trump. Um, And it's it's not a made-up thing. It's not a made-up thing. I just saw a tweet directed at uh, me and Andy Biggs for that interview, saying um, saying from someone who has you know not 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 the most amount of followers but hundreds anyway that um, we need to be treated Nuremberg style, Nuremberg style. You know what that means? It means death. And now you have members of Congress, members of here's one, Bill Pascrell from New Jersey. Ninth District of New Jersey. He's the chairman of the House Ways and Means Subcommittee on Oversight. He puts out a press release. This isn't a stupid tweet. It's not a smart tweet. It's a stupid tweet. It's not a second thought. This is a press release. That means he either drafted it or one of his staffers drafted it and he approved it. Donald Trump and members of his administration, I'm quoting exactly, Donald Trump and members of his administration have committed innumerable crimes against the United States. He has endangered our national security. He ripped families apart. He poisoned the census. He has personally profited from his office. He has attacked our elections and sought to throttle democracy. He was rightly impeached by the House of Representatives. He has engaged in treachery and in treason. He has all but given up on governing and protecting our nation. And if he had a shred of dignity, he would resign today. Treason. Punishable by death. Punishable by death. This is what we faced. 
I put it in the past tense because I'm worried about it for the future tense. This is the unhinged left, and someone who claimed that the president was guilty of treason should be taken off the chairmanship of any committee immediately. Will he be? Of course not, because this is not the left of the Democratic Party. This is the Democratic Party.